for today, I want to encourage you with some words from the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, Ecclesiastes is one of those books that's somewhat depressing, but it gives us perspective, especially during times of crisis, during times of tribulation. And we are in one of those times right now. So if you do have a Bible with you, I want to invite you to open to the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 6. Ecclesiastes chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 10, and I'm going to read a section here and just give you a brief, a brief encouragement, a brief teaching tonight to help you understand how we can stay strong during times that are trying like this with the coronavirus and shutdowns and all the things that are going on that, that are pretty crazy in, in our world right now. So Ecclesiastes chapter 6, verse 10, whatever has come to be has already been named and it is known what man is, and then he's not able to dispute with one stronger than he. The more words, the more vanity. And what is the advantage to man? For who knows what is good for a man while he lives the few days of his vain life, which he passes like a shadow? For who can tell man what will be after him under the sun? There are two lingering questions that we all face. First question is, why do I suffer? Why do I suffer trials and tribulations? And the second question, which is probably more important now, is how? How do you handle suffering, tribulation, crisis? How do you get through these difficult times? Because here's the problem. Sometimes during times of suffering, we often fail to fully trust in the Lord. So in this passage of Scripture before us, we've got a main point, and it's this. In times of suffering, we should trust in the sovereignty of God by looking for the good in the midst of the bad. Now, I'm just going to address some issues in this passage of Scriptures, and the first one we see here in chapter 6, verses 10 through 12 is, God is God and you are not. Uh, that's an old Stephen Curtis Chapman song. God is God and you are not. Now notice what it says there. Whatever has come to be has already been named. Whatever has come to pass, whatever is to be in the midst right now of the coronavirus has been predetermined by a sovereign God. Now, there is death, there is destruction, there are coronaviruses that come as a result of the fall. When Adam sinned in the garden, God pronounced a curse on all creation, and that's why there's cancer, that's why there's earthquakes, that's why there's natural disasters, that's why there are viruses that attack the human body. And so we need to understand that all things are predetermined, ordained, by a sovereign God. Now, you may not like this truth. And so, I'm not going to downplay what the Bible teaches. Whether or not you buy into the fact that God is sovereignly in charge of all things, you have to ask a question. Either God ordained the coronavirus to happen, or God is allowing it to happen. But either way you look at it, He's not stopping what's going on right now. So things are flowing out through the world the way they are because it's under God's sovereign plan. 
We call this the sovereign decree of God. Now, we don't know the secret things. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says the secret things belong to the Lord. We don't know the mind of God. We don't know how long the coronavirus is going to last. There's a lot of unknowns. And that's what makes us so anxious. And that's what makes us anxious with the government. Because if they would just tell us, how long are we going to have to be quarantined? How long are the the schools going to be closed? How long are the restaurants going to be closed? If they could just give us a timeline. And that's what makes us so nervous. But in God's sovereign purview, he has it already worked out. He's already in the future. He's already determined what the outcome is going to be. And so, We've got to come to grips with that God is sovereignly ordaining or allowing this to happen for a purpose. Now, we don't, may not know fully what that purpose is, but God is still sovereign. And here's the second thing that we should understand. It's foolish to argue with God. Notice what he says there in verse 10. Whatever has come to be has already been named. Okay, God is sovereignly ordaining this. And it is known what man is and that he is not able to dispute with one stronger than he. We should not dispute or argue or quarrel with one that is stronger than us, i.e., the sovereign living God. You, you know, this is what happened with Job. In the book of Job, he's, he's arguing back and forth with God, and at the end of the book, Job finally comes to that moment of truth. In Job 42, 1 through 6, Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I've uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Hear and I will speak, I will question you and make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. It's futile to argue with God. Isaiah 45, 9, Woe to him who strives with him who formed him, a pot among earthen pots. Does the clay say to him who forms it, What are you making, or your work has no handles? We're the clay. God's the potter. We have no right to tell God how to do things. That's why Paul says in Romans 9.20, But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Well, what does molded say to its molder? Why have you made us like this? So God is sovereignly ordaining whatever comes to pass, even the coronavirus. It's futile to argue or dispute with someone stronger than you. So what's our response? We must humbly accept whatever God ordains for us to experience. We must humbly accept whatever God has ordained for us to experience. We may not want to hear this. We may not want to hear what God has in store for us as a way to waken up the church as a way to bring revival to our land, as a way to make us dependent upon Him? How dare we tell God how to operate His universe? He knows exactly what He's doing, and we have to humbly accept that He's a sovereign God. In Psalm 144, verse 4, it says, Man is like a breath, his days like a passing shadow. We don't know the future, so we must fully trust God. So what does the future hold 
You know, I'm reminded of James chapter 4, verses 13 through 15. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the, Lord's wi- if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Verse 12 here, it says, For who knows what is good for a man while he lives a few days of his vain life, which passes like a shadow. Your life is but a mere vapor. We don't know what tomorrow may bring. Our days are numbered. And so times like this, it makes us sober-minded to think that God is in charge, and, and the wording we need to use is Lord willing. That's all we can say. Lord willing, the coronavirus will lift. Lord willing, life will go back to the way it will go back to, under His sovereign control. Lord willing. So when trials come, it's better to suffer patiently and wait on God's outcome. If you go into chapter 7 and you continue reading, verse 8, it says, Better is the end of a thing than its beginning, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. The end of the thing. (laughs) That is the outcome, the end of the thing. Sure, we'd like to know the end of this thing. What's the end of this thing? This coronavirus that's happening. The end is a better thing than the beginning. The patient spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Man, oh man, is this teaching us patience. This culture does not like patience. We don't want to wait. We don't want to wait on the Lord. We don't want to wait in our homes. We get nervous. We get impatient. And the opposite of patience here is he says it's proud, being prideful. You know, one of the hardest things to do is wait. I'm reminded of that great theologian, Tom Petty, and the Heartbreakers, who said, the waiting is the hardest part. Lamentations 3, 24 through 26. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in Him. The Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the soul who seeks Him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Waiting. It's a hard thing to do. Now, let's just look at three appropriate responses to suffering and trials that we see in chapter 7 of Ecclesiastes, verses 9 through 12. Okay, so in verse 9, instead of getting angry, be patient. Verse 9, be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. Instead of getting angry, be patient. You know, right now there's panic, there's frustration, and I'm afraid if things don't change, there's going to be a lot of anger, a lot of bitterness. People are being pent up in their houses and and not having human contact. There's bound to be anger that's going to be boiling up to the surface. And and he says here, um, the, the writer of Ecclesiastes, the preacher, the teacher, says, be not quick in your spirit to become angry. It's very similar to what James says in James 1.19. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow 
anger. The second response. Don't complain about the present by trying to go back to the past. Look at verse 10. Say not, why were the former days better than these days? For it is not wisdom that you ask this. Our world has changed a lot in three to four weeks. And we're longing for the former days, the good old days when you, could, when you had some freedoms. And hopefully that will soon pass and we'll go back to that. But, but it's not good to look back because you can't change the past. All you can do is look forward and trust what God is leading us into the future. It shows a lack of contentment when you don't wait on God's timing. And then in verses 11 and 12, wisdom in times of suffering, is a great advantage to give you hope. Look at verse 11. Wisdom is a good thing with an inheritance and an advantage to those who see the sun. For the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money, and the advantage of knowledge is the wisdom that preserves the life of him who has it. Consider the work of God who can make straight what he has made crooked. Wisdom, knowledge. You know, right now we're living in a culture where the information is just coming so fast. And it's hard to sift through what is true, what is fake, what's medical, what's opinion. And so it really calls for some wisdom and discernment, especially on social media. When somebody posts something or shares something, don't just immediately accept it, but use some wisdom and trust that our leaders at the highest levels are using wisdom and pray for them to have wisdom and discernment. And then the conclusion God is God, and you are not. It's a bookend of where it just started. Okay, Verses 13 and 14. Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? God is sovereignly ordaining these struggles. It says, consider. Consider the work of God. Pay attention to the work of God. Now, crooked here, what God makes straight, what he's made crooked, that doesn't mean sin, or evil. It's, it's really a metaphor for suffering. In other words, we can't change what God has sovereignly ordained us to go through. If he's ordained it, he's, meant, he's meaning for us to go through it. And how we respond as we go through it, God's not going to change his sovereign plan. And again, we don't know what that sovereign plan is. We just know we're in the midst of hard times right now. And then, I think this is the most important God ordains both your good times and your bad times, so be joyful in both. Look at verse 14. In the day of prosperity, be joyful. Three weeks ago, a day of prosperity. And in the day of adversity, consider, God has made the one as well as the other so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. Did you hear that? In the day of prosperity, be joyful. And in the day of adversity, God's made the one as well as the other. You see, it's very easy to be joyful in times of prosperity, happy, things are going well. But in times of adversity, where's our joy? Where's the joy of the Lord? Are you joyful? Romans 5, 3 through 5, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces 
endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Rejoice in sufferings. James chapter 1, 2 through 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, and this is a kind that we've never experienced in our nation before. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. Be joyful in adversity. You know, believers in Jesus Christ, this is a time where we can show our true colors to a watching world. Are we going to be fearful? Are we going to be angry? Are we going to be bitter? Are we going to be proud? Are we going to argue with God, or are we going to be joyful? Is the joy of the Lord going to be our strength during such a time as this? I'm not saying it's easy. It's going to be difficult. That's why we need the Lord Jesus as our strength. That's why we need each other. And it's, it's hard when there's social distancing, especially as a church family where we can't be together. So it's, it's even more important that we connect virtually, phone calls, texts, talking to one another, sharing life the best way we can with that social distancing. And so as your pastor, I just wanted you to encourage you today with these words from Ecclesiastes that I'm not going to stand up here and promise that things are going to get better. I'm not a pie-in-the-sky kind of guy. You know that. We don't believe the prosperity gospel here at Emmanuel. We're very realistic about the sovereignty of God and suffering. We can't control those things. What we can control is how we respond. Are we going to be joyful? Are we going to be patient? Are we going to be loving? Are we going to share the gospel? Are we going to be hopeful in such a time as this? And so my prayer for all believers, especially here in northeastern Colorado, but around the nation and around the world, is that God would sovereignly use this to waken up the church to new heights of gospel impact that we've never seen before and that we would not waste this opportunity but that we would trust fully in our sovereign God. Well, I thank you for watching this Facebook Live today. And again, join us at 10.15 a.m. for a worship service preaching time through Isaiah chapter 53. I love you, Emmanuel Church family. I wish we could be together it's Wednesday, and normally this place is flocked with, with kids and youth and children and people running around, and, and I enjoy doing the Wednesday night teaching, and, but we just can't do that. And so until next time, I'm going to keep saying this like a broken record, and some of you don't know what a broken record is, and some of you don't even know what a, a scratched CD is. Uh, and so nowadays everything's MP3 and digital. So anyway, I'll just keep repeating this. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus.